Boy, I don't know about all of you, but if you were able to worship with us last week, I am still just giddy over those baptisms on Sunday. Oh, man, when Ella Roberts, eight years old, gets up and shares the, her testimony. Is there anyone without chills? Powerful. God is actively at work. And then when Allison gets up and spoke on behalf of her and Chad about their promises to their two little girls and how heartfelt their desire for them to know the deep love they have experienced of God, man, it's powerful. And for all of us to be able to worship together, and uh, if you're here, you could tell Spirit is with us in our worship. And it is good. It is so good. And this morning, we're going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to go to our amazing God. I want to ask you a question. If you're on the live stream, I'd love for you to answer this in the comments. When was the first time you realized life isn't fair? Uh, When was that first time you realized, you know what? I don't think life is fair. Now, this surely wasn't my very first time recognizing life isn't fair, but it is a memory that has stuck with me throughout the years. Travel with me back to sixth grade. So I was about that tall then. (laughs) Wow, yeah. And uh, feeling pretty confident over just working through my speech impediment, right? I was doing good in sixth grade. But there is something that bugged me. The same group of kids constantly got picked to do all the awesome special things the teachers and student teachers asked or needed to be done. The same group of students kept getting picked. They were ultimately the cool kids, all right? We all knew the cool kids in school. I was not one of them. I saw them from afar. I actually started with them, and I don't know how it happened, but they continued to be cool, and I just didn't, and I don't know what happened. But Mr. Bauer, he was a student aide this year, sixth grade. He needed a few people to help build a paper mache volcano for this cool end of year program we were putting on, all right? He starts listing off the names to give instructions to the kids who will be able to do this assignment out, you know, during class time so you don't have to learn. You get to make a volcano instead of do your schoolwork. First name, Shane, of course. Next name, Zach. Ha, no surprise. Third name, Kevin, but before you get excited for me, there's another Kevin, and that Kevin was always picked every time. He was best buddies with Zach and Shane. I was friends with them, but not as close as they were, right? And for whatever reason, they got picked for everything. Now, I was sitting there, and this was like the fourth time this group got to do something cool. I knew exactly what Kevin, Mr. Bauer, was calling on, but I had enough because it wasn't fair. He also didn't say a last name, technically. He also didn't make eye contact with a Kevin, technically. And he was a student teacher, and as a student, I could smell weakness, because that's how it works. And so he said Kevin, so I stood up, and I went forward. (laughs) And as I walked forward, Mr. Bauer looks up, and he looks at me, and the perplexed, confused look on his face, he knew what happened. 
And he was, but the thing is, he was, he was a student teacher. He was a good one, though. He knew it wouldn't do well for my little sixth grade soul to send me back with my tail between my legs in front of all my classmates. He said, oh, I actually meant the other Kevin, but you know what? We could use an extra set of hands. So Kevin, you get to stay. There were two Kevins that built that volcano, I'm happy to say. But sixth grade me recognized, you know what? Life isn't fair. And that time I did something about it. And today's type message is titled, Life Isn't Always Fair. But you know what? It can be good. It can be good. We're going to read from Matthew 20 today, verses 1 through 16. We're following, uh, for the next couple of weeks, the common lectionary. It's a thing that many churches throughout the entire globe do, where they are united in the reading of Scripture and the passages. And so it's not me picking the passage, it's the passage was already picked. And then we sit in the Word and we see, what does God want to say to us at this time? So we're joining in with several brothers and sisters throughout our world reading this passage today. This is about the parable of the vineyard workers. Let's dive in to God's word together. It goes like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He had agreed to pay these individuals for the normal daily wage. Then he sent them out to work. Now at nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around just doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right. At the end of the day, so they went on and they went to work in the vineyard. Now at noon, that is three hours later, he, and again at three, another three hours later, he did the very same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again. He saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, well, no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out, join the others in the vineyard. So that evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in, and he paid them. He began with those very last workers he called. He paid them first. When those were hired, who were hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those who were hired first, that's 6 a.m., mind you, about, when those who were hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked for just one hour, one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat, mind you. The landowner answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first, and those who are first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. We give thanks to God. 
It's a fascinating parable, isn't it? It's a fascinating parable, and Jesus often spoke in parables to help get to eternal truths. And he starts this one with, for the kingdom of heaven is like. See, Jesus, his preaching was consistent throughout his public ministry. In Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. And his message was this, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's often referred to kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Elsewhere, it's kingdom of God. Those are interchangeable, okay? Now, in his teaching and preaching, Jesus, he's, he's, he's constantly trying to get us to change our perspective. He, it's kind of like he's giving us a prescription for kingdom glasses, okay? Sin, it blurs. It distorts. It twists everything. Sin has, has fully corrupted this world. And outside of God, everything we see is twisted and destroyed by sin. But Jesus, he's constantly trying to get us to change our perspective, to give us clear vision, to give us glasses to have kingdom eyes. But when we're so used to one way, where it's blurry and distorted, our sin vision, a new way, kingdom vision, seems really rather bizarre. It's backwards than what we're used to. It seems almost wrong. Like, like when you start to look at it, you think about it, you can't make sense of it. It gives you a headache for a while. But Jesus relentlessly and creatively attempts to help his people understand just how incredible life in step with the king and in his kingdom truly is. And this parable is one of those radical examples. This parable is giving us a taste of his desired kingdom, of how things ought to be, the kingdom of God. So let's try and wrap our heads around what this day would have looked like. Six o'clock, first thing in the morning, right? Uh, uh, the landowner, he represents God in this parable. He hires these workers. They make an agreement to be paid a daily wage. Nine o'clock, landowner notices more people without work and uh, maybe didn't notice them at six, or maybe they weren't up yet, so he hires them. Nine is a good time to start a day's worth of work, right? And so they go to work. Twelve o'clock, same thing. He goes back, hires more people. For these ones, it might have been a second job for them, or maybe they owned their own fields and they already tended to theirs, and they were in the market hoping to get a little extra work. We're not exactly sure, but they get hired. Three o'clock, even more workers. The landowner doesn't apparently like to see people go without work, so he hires them. And then five o'clock comes around. It's about one hour left in the working day, for the typical working day in this time. No one had hired them. And that perplexes me. Who are these individuals that were not hired? Maybe they had a reputation that had followed them around and people wrote them off. I, I wonder if maybe they just, they looked more like me than like a strong man, right? Like, yeah, I don't think I want you working in my vineyard. Maybe that no one ever gave them a shot. And so they were never picked to make a volcano or to work in a vineyard, right? And so maybe they were 
I guess they could have just been legitimately lazy as well. And who knows, maybe they were just overlooked their entire lives. They bought into a lie that they have nothing to contribute to this world. So they stand around the town square all day, day after day, not getting hired. But where we in our earthly vision see shortcomings, God in his kingdom vision sees someone with value and with worth. The landowner did not need these last workers. By the time he gets them back to the field, gets them their instructions, whatever equipment they may need, and hands them over to the foreman, it's like almost quit in time. There's probably more work for the landowner and the foreman than the amount of work those actual workers put in. That may strike a chord with you if you are a parent of a young child doing Zoom school and you feel like you're doing just as much work, if not more work, helping your kid with that schooling right now. But what happens in the story? They get paid a full day's wage for hardly lifting a finger. That, that, is, that is generous. That's beyond generous. That's like crazy generous. It's just kind of crazy. That doesn't happen. It doesn't make sense in our earthly context. In a lot of ways, the landowner sounds like a terrible businessman, throwing away his money to anyone who will breathe. But then we remember, God is trying to give us a picture of how things work in his kingdom, of how things are intended to be. Let's revisit the story again by stepping into the shoes of those first workers. They're the early risers, okay? Now, they were the first chosen to work. <laughs> you can just practically hear them saying it. Ha, pays to get up early. Early bird gets the worm, right? You know how people who love getting up early almost love telling others they love to get up early even more? You have that? Like, you, you all know the early risers in your life because they tell you, I love getting, oh, I was up at 5.30 today. <laughs> like, eh, my wife was too, but she was feeding a baby and she did not want to be up. So they work hard. They put in three hours of tough labor. They're beating the sun, but, you know, 9 o'clock, the sun's starting to get a little bit warm. But look at that, the landowner, he brought in reinforcements. Okay, we could use this, you know, a little bit less work for all of us. Many hands make light work. You keep on going. But three more hours pass. It's the middle of the day, hottest part of the day. The sun is blazing. It's scorching down on you, feeling good about your progress. But, man, you have a whole lot more work ahead of you. Oh, but more reinforcements. All right, that's cool. More workers are coming. And then three more hours go by. You're getting pretty tired. You're like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But wait, what's this? More workers at three? Like three o'clock? We're, we're nearing the end here. Is the landowner like displeased with our progress? Are we not working hard enough for him? I mean, I've been sweating. I've been trying. And how can he even afford more workers? I don't, I don't get this. But wait a minute. If he can afford more workers, maybe he can afford to pay me a little extra something, huh? All right. Two hours go by, five o'clock, you have one hour left. You ever work retail, you know when that one hour left mark hits, it's like, all right, my life will exist beyond this job. I will make it to see the light of day. It's almost there, light at the end of the tunnel. It is coming. And the landowner brings in more workers. 
But what is going on? We are about ready to wrap up here. I do not understand this at all. What in the world's happening? It's an hour to go. This makes no sense. This landowner must be crazy. Just plain crazy. Finally, you clock out. It's time to get paid. And you know what? He picked me first. And good thing comes to those who are picked first and get up early. And he pays the last people, the ones who hardly even worked. And you watch them get paid a full day's wage. And you are baffled. What generosity. That's crazy. You're even kind of excited for those people. Like, hey, that's cool for them. But really, you're just thinking about your paycheck, right? What does that mean for me? Okay, I put in about 12 hours. They put in about one. They got a full day's wage. Maybe I'll get twice, 12, 12 days wages. If you equal that out, do the math. All right, I could do that. I could get that new uh, sheep trough I've been eyeing, right? I don't know what people like to buy then. You see that buildup. You see that buildup. You see that buildup. And then the major letdown, which ultimately leads to those first workers proclaiming what every three-year-old says every day, that's not fair. That's not fair. The first workers, they're fairly paid. The amount that they had agreed upon, right? That's how much they were paid. But they feel unfairly treated. Even though they earned what they got, it's in the comparison in the shadow of radical generosity to another that they turn bitter. And you know what? Can't we all relate to that? Isn't that such a natural human response? It's like, wait, that doesn't seem fair. why, Why is it like this? I'd be mad too. But then we put on our kingdom glasses, right? And it changes the story. We see things differently. Consider the landowner's perspective. He sees people who need work, and he has work to be done, and he has much. He has, for whatever reason, acquired a lot in his life, so he will be generous with much. He sees his wealth not as a means to prop himself up and increase the gap between him and those without work, but as a means to help his fellow man who may not have as much. Just to clarify, I'm not preaching socialism or anything, even though my last name is Sanders. I'm not diving into politics. I'm just saying what the story says about how the landowner is treating his wealth and his workers. Look at this response he says to those who are bitter. He answered one of them, friend, I have not been unfair. We made this agreement. Didn't we agree to work all day for the usual wage? So take your money and go. See, I wanted, it was my desire to pay this last worker the same as you. So is it against the law for me to do that? And here's a real good question. Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? You already got what you deserved. That person got maybe not what they deserved, but I chose to be gracious. Should you be jealous that I am kind? And this is where we can start to see what matters in the kingdom of God. These questions of the landowners show that that God, he gives his gifts, not because they're earned, but because he is gracious. In fact, any gift of God, 
all-powerful God who controls everything, in charge of everything, the very idea of him giving anything to us is an incredible act of grace because he does not need to give anything. So whatever he gives, it's because it's not earned, it's because he is gracious. And yet we live under the illusion that, we've all, that all we have worked hard for is ours because of our hard labor. And while absolutely working hard, you know, we can find a way in our life, all that. But the reality is all that we have is ours solely by the grace of God. God's grace, it is not limited by our idea of what's fair. His gifts are far beyond what we deserve. Just like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, we find it very hard, very hard to abandon our human scale of values, especially when we compare our lot in life with someone else's. Comparison kills contentment. Kills it. With our earthly vision, it's really hard to accept the large-heartedness of God towards those that we regard as undeserving. The first workers in the story, they missed the important truth that goodness, goodness is much more important than fairness. Fairness can be just, right? It can be very just to seek fairness. But goodness is just. It is right, and it's also filled with mercy. Anytime we're consumed with the idea of fairness, it's often because we feel like we're not getting what we deserve. And when it's a question of what we deserve, if we're honest, it means there's some level of entitlement creeping in. So when we ask, is it fair? I wonder if we're asking the wrong question. Perhaps a better question, perhaps a more kingdom-minded question ought to be not, is it fair, but is it good? Is it good? See, we don't want to seek to just be fair, because fairness will often fall short. We want to go beyond being fair. We want to seek to be good, to seek the things that make for unity and purity and peace to seek goodness always. Because when we think about fairness, and fairness is getting what we deserve, what if we actually got what we deserve? First, we might go in our minds to think of, yeah, what if we got what we deserve? All those really nice th things I have done that no one noticed. And all those volunteer hours I put in, or all those times serving, I did this and this and this. And all those times I was really humble, right? <laughs> and we got what we deserve. And then we start to think a little deeper, and we remember, ooh, that's right. What, what about those little lies I told? What about those times I've gossiped? What about those times I have sinned? We recognize we've been disobedient to God because sin is present in all of us. And try as we might, it is a battle. 
And then we also are reminded because sin is separation from a holy God, because sin and God do not mix, we can't be with God if we have sin. So the penalty was death. If God were fair, if he were just just, only just, but did not have mercy, not one of us would escape what is to come. But praise God, for he is just all the time, and he is merciful all the time. And in the kingdom, he is so good. Because Jesus, who was fully God, fully without sin, took our sin upon himself, took the punishment upon himself. He paid that cost so that we don't have to, so that we may live forever in grace. Because he is just, God must eliminate sin. Because he is merciful, he provided a way to take that punishment on himself, to eliminate it so that him and us are united again. He made a way to restore us in relationship to one another. He took the punishment on himself. Is that fair? Is that fair for a sinless God to become sin for us? Oh, that's not fair. That is not fair. That's not fair, but it is so good. It is so good. Because that's how much God loves us. It's how much God loves you. It's not about fairness. It's about how good our God is. There's nothing fair about this world. We learned that very early on. There's nothing fair about this world, but thank goodness, thank God, we are not citizens of this world, but we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of God, fairness is no longer what matters because good reigns forever. Praise be to God who in his infinite love and mercy gives us freedom and forgiveness if only we ask and call him Lord and Savior. And praise be to God, he does not give us what we deserve. Praise be to God for not being fair, but for choosing to be good, for being good. Now may we go and do the same. Amen. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, you have given us this word this morning through this parable Jesus taught so many years ago, and yet your truth is unending, and it continues to communicate today. And Lord, as we consider what life in your kingdom looks like, we acknowledge the ways our world does not look like that kingdom. And we acknowledge in our own lives the ways our living doesn't look like kingdom living. And yet, as we reflect on the generosity and graciousness of the landowner, which is pointing to the generosity and graciousness of you, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that fairness isn't enough for you, but you seek goodness. And God, you came to do this for all people, and yet we know only some choose it. We pray, Lord, for your kingdom to continue to break through this world 
and into the lives of those whose hearts are hardened, Lord. We pray that you continue to break through us, and when we get caught up in what we deserve, we instead step aside from any potential entitlement to proclaim you as good and to seek things that are just and merciful in this, king, in this world, God. At the heart of it, Lord, we see that you are a God who deeply, deeply loves your creation. So we humble ourselves, God, and we give you thanks. We know we don't deserve it, and yet we are filled with your assurance and with relationship with you. And that gives us air beneath our wings, Lord. So thank you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen. Amen.